Ladies and gentlemen, on my podcast, on my podcast today is a man who I kind of grew up with. Uh, we go as far back as putting rhymes together. I think freshman or sophomore year. Yeah, being Wu Tang heads to us finding our niche somewhere in the process and doing whatever uh, major we did that we did in high school to him leaving and going off into the military. Uh, two tours in Iraq. Uh, three. Three tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. Yes, sir. One in Afghanistan. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is the one and only, if you find another, he's a phony, Carl Fogey. Peace, brother. Love that, brother. Dope intro. <laughs> Man, that's how you grease the skids right there. I love that. <laughs> we, we 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 go we go back. We go, we go back. Um, and it's always been good energy with you. So even when we didn't, we even when we didn't agree, it was just a disagreement. Like there was never mm. anything foul about us not not having the same opinion all the time. So how you mm. been, my guy? I've been good, brother. I've been maintaining, getting used to civilian life. I did my 20-year stint, so um, I joined when I was 18, got out the military when I was 38, so I'm just now understanding what it is to be an adult, in a, in a weird sense. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So so did you, okay, Go. let's go back, high school. Did you have ROTC? No. Okay, okay. So no. expl explain to me what made you want to do military life. To, to put it simply, uh, I had to get the hell out of Chicago, and the military seemed the best route for me. I I, I was kind of do, doing like a, uh, a cursory survey and seeing what I could do, and a lot of things didn't seem like they were in the cards for me. And a friend of mine, Moses, I don't know if you remember him. Was on yeah, we all ran team. track together. We all ran track yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Moses, uh, he was the one who, uh, he initially put the bug in my ear about it and, you know, talk about the GI Bill and everything. And then I was looking at my other prospects. I'm like, well, I'm in shape. I might as well do it while I'm still there. Yeah. And what turned into just a four-year commitment just to get out the city and get a um and get my uh, my benefits turned into a 20-year stint. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's now no patriotism, anything involved in that one. That was get me out the hood. <laughs> so for the for the people who don't understand when he says get me out the hood, growing up in Chicago, uh there are a lot of things to do good and bad and a lot of the times the good don't they're not as fun and they don't pay as fast as doing the bad things and it doesn't take much for you to get overwhelmed and caught up in the the mundane routine of of doing negative things that can get you locked up uh, incarcerated get you killed have you out here selling dope and doing things that that uh desecrate the community and cause mm -hmm. genocide and homicide so it's I understand. I understand that because there are many that chose. They say you're gonna either you're gonna either entertain one way or the other. You're gonna either rap or you're gonna uh, or you're gonna shoot ball, right? But the mm. other the other option was always to to go to the military. And I saw many people decide take take the decision and say, you know what, I'm gonna just choose the military instead. Yeah. Yeah. It it was a a, a conflicting decision to say the least. Uh, I remember. There were certain teachers, um, black teachers. Uh, I won't say any names, but uh, this one in particular told me, you know, why are you do why are you giving me all your talents to them? Yeah. And uh, that stuck with me for a long time. It really did. And 
during the, the course of those 20 years, I saw a lot, you know, and I, I questioned that decision. Yeah. But looking back now, you know, knowing that my family's taken care of, you know, knowing that I have a pension, I'm like, you know what, the juice was worth the squeeze, but I, who knows, you know what I mean? We all go through our past for certain, yeah. for whatever reason, you know, it yeah. doesn't make sense at the time, but later on it does. So Absolutely. I and don't I, regret it. And I remember hearing that, man, there, there's no, there's no place in a, in a white man's army for a black man or how, however the term, the, the sentence was said to us. And they said, man, choose a, choose a labor union or doing something else like that. Well, for those who didn't know, even though we might have wanted to choose a labor union, it was hard getting in those too, because yes. th those were, uh, was it hereditary? They were passing them down from family member yeah. to family member to family member. And they were, they were plugging their own family members instead of giving people a rightful chance to get involved yes. in a lot of the unions. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So so what was that initial kick when you first joined? Like, I'm, I'm sure the PT, the physical the physical therapy part of it or physical training part, you were able to knock that out. Right. Yeah, that part was easy. You know, I was 18 years old, with, you know, with a six pack and I was at the eating Italian beef sandwiches every other day. You know what I mean? So I was doing good. That part was easy. It was the social socialization aspect of it. That was weird, you know, because of particular area. I didn't encounter a lot of people that didn't look like me, you know what I mean? So to go from uh, a neighborhood, a community that's 99% black, you know what I mean? To go into an organization where I'm the only black guy or maybe one of two, yeah. it was weird. It, it really was. And granted, this was still the late nineties, you know, there were a lot of things that were still prevalent in this country that were prevalent back then, you know? So it wasn't overt racism, but there were certain ways and certain stereotypes that you have to bust through, which yeah. I didn't mind, you know, because I was always that one I was going to go against the grain anyway. So, you were a different dude. Some, you were a different dude. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But it was definitely a shock to my system. But once I kind of understood the day-to-day the, the -day routine and what it took to be successful, I'm like, oh, this is easy. I got this. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think for certain... This tough. Yeah, I think for some of us, it's a shock to the system. But at the same time, we go, oh, I can adjust to this. If I can survive oh. that, this would be yes. easy. Spot on. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. If if That's I can cool if I can make that. it out, if I can make it out of there at 18, 17, I can do this. This ain't shit. Cause y'all ain't gonna y'all ain't gonna even do me worse than they gonna do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, man, like you you have an advantage and don't realize it. Like they already don't want you there in certain situations they already don't like you so you you, you should be used to that by now yep so all you gotta yep. do is just go in there and do what you're supposed to do exactly exactly you know talking about a chip on your shoulder you know like that that's the, that's a built-in chip you know and for for good or for bad you know it made me the man I, I was and and i am today you know just that go against the grain you know I'm going to take this shit sandwich and eat it and say it's delicious. Yep. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because you can't phase me. Yep. Pass me the barbecue sauce. Us... Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that made me stand out a lot to my peers. But the other dudes from like from Philly, from New York, from from the Bay, from Oakland, you know, all those cats, we, we got it. We all understood what our job was there. Absolutely. There was some that was flag waving and, you know, Second Amendment T-shirt wearing dudes. Rock gone you know but i'm in it for another business you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah and, and as long as you as long as you don't cross that line that i know that i have we're gonna be all right exactly exactly and um even even 
when I left, it wasn't under the most glorious circumstances. Mm. You know, if I would have, you know, if I look back and be honest, it, it wasn't. But my God, I still made it. And uh, for a long time, I kind of, uh, I was bitter, you know, towards that. You know, um, kind of. That's why um, when we we spoke offline, I said, "Don't worry about the rank thing." You know, about because I'm I'm trying to turn that switch off in my mind. Okay. To a okay. certain degree, you know what I mean? Because I've been sergeant for long, you know what I mean? I kind of forgot who Carl was, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's legitimate. I, wow. I kind of forgot who I was, you know, like the hair and all that. This is just me trying to figure out who I am again. <laughs> yeah, just do something different, yeah. So so tell what, what what branch of the military was it? Uh, Army. Okay. Army. Yeah, I was a combat medic. Combat medic? Yes. Who served three tours in, in Iraq? Yeah. Did you know, yeah. was that right away? Did you know that you want to do that right away? Go to, go to Iraq or was that something that was just thrown in your, in, your, in front of you? That, that wasn't even in a purview at the time because uh, when I joined the major conflict was uh, Kosovo and Bosnia, you, you know what I mean? So 9-11 hadn't happened for another three years at the time, you know, two to three years. So in my mind, I was going to just do my, my, do my time, get my bennies and get out. Then 9-11 happened, changed everything, you mm. know, so we were kind of just doing like the Boy Scout thing, just going through the motions. And a lot of the training concepts we had was still related to the Cold War because we didn't have a new conflict at the time. So everything changed, you know what yeah. I mean? So it went from I'm just going to do my time to, you know, I, I, this is for real. You know, yeah. this is not a game. This is not a drill. This is for real. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that first tour in uh, 2004. Mm. Um, and this is the beginning stages of the, the invasion, as they say, you know, um, they had just captured Saddam at the time. So that country was the wild, wild west. It was things I saw that it reminded me of like being in like Mad Max or something. You know what I mean? Like, how wow. is this reality? <laughs> yeah. it, it was really it was really just like just off, off the rails like that. It was the wild west, man. It really was like towards the end. It, it normalized. But those first couple of. Those, the people that were there initially and who came after that, yeah. The stories that they could tell is it, it's out it's out there. It really is. You know okay. what I mean? And you when you start to get comfortable with death, that's not okay. You know what I mean? When I was afraid to have my picture taken because I thought it was gonna be used as a memorial in a in a memorial later on down the road. Wow. Like it, it got it got to that point, you know what I mean? It was like it not if but when. You, you know what I mean? And that's a hard way to, to go about it, but you have to. That's you, crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have to. So, wow. All right, you, you good. Now go back to society to be a regular person. What? <laughs> wow. So, so now, there are some that can, but yeah, so not you, everybody. So, you go out here and you do your first tour. Were you like in the midst of actual battle, like gun battles and, and, uh, you know, funny story about that. Initially, I was um, working in the clinic, you know, so I was okay. dealing with the guys that would come in from the front line and, you know, try to bandage, bandage them up so we can get them to the, the next echelon of care, you know, get them in the medevac bird, send them out somewhere else. So I, I didn't deal with the stuff initially. One of the guys that was out on the front lines was injured. He got sent home. So I went to go replace him. And so that's when things got real. You know, that's when... You know, you're right there at the point of con, and I'll be lying to you, you know, if I, I didn't have some, oh, shit, you know, 
You know what I mean? There was a couple of them. Wow. But uh, by the grace of God, you know, I'm still here, you know, and I have some good guys around me, you know, they, they took care of me. They took care of their doc, you know, that's, and I took care of them. So that's the thing that, that mattered. You know, I, it wasn't about the big picture, the politics. It was about making sure the dude to the left and the right with, of me got home. Yeah. That was it. The that's survival. all that mattered. Yeah, that's all that mattered. So how long did you have to train or study to be a medic, combat medic? Um, back then it was 20 and, uh, um, say, say it again. It was what back then, back then it was just 20 weeks. 20 weeks. Okay. Yeah. And, um, uh, a lot of that stuff, you know, you retain it, but you know, you, you're working on manic cosplay stuff. You know what I mean? It's not the real deal. It, it's not until you work with the guys that actually been out there and touch flesh and know that the smell, you know what I mean? It wasn't until we got with those guys when the switch got flipped, you know mm. what I mean? So they prepared us as best as they could, but, you know, it's, it's no type of training other than like the real thing. You know, OJT is sometimes the best type of training. But this is also the, the period where we were sending our guys into combat with no up-armored vehicles. You, you know what, what I mean? This is around the time when um, – I believe it was um, Rumsfeld. Well, one of the guys let him know, you know, you're sending us out there with no armor on our vehicles. We're sitting in sheet metal to protect ourselves. And they had no clue. So, you know, we were going out there with like sandbags on the roof of a truck. Like this is going to stop IED. You know what I mean? That's crazy. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm dead, I'm dead ass. I'm dead ass. Like when you... When you really wrapped your head around the possibility, like, I'm not coming home. You know, I could not come home. You know, like, that was real. Wow. You know, it's part luck and part, you know, right place, right time. <laughs> Jeez, man. So so it, that, that whole time, you got to be a little, the paranoia kicks in real heavy, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And mainly because, you know, you're not... You're not expecting it, you know what I mean? You're like hypervisioning originally, but over time, I mean, you're there for a year, you know? So over time, you start getting numb to it, and that's when the complacency happens. And so the things used to be hypervigilant about, you know, that's just whole hum, regular stuff until it's not, yeah. you know? So like anything, complacency kills, but it wasn't until like something happened that that um, that sense of urgency got reset in you. You're like, oh shit, we are in Iraq. You know, yeah. we're not back home, you know, playing Call of Duty. Like, this is real. You, you know what I mean? So there, there was a, a sense of danger, you know, in a, in a sense of um, you, you can't really relax. That's the okay. best way I could put it. You, you was was I mean? that anxiety heavy as well? It, it depends on the situation. I mean, okay. there was times we were just shooting the shit, laughing and joking. And there was other times it was, uh, let me deal with this. Let me pause this real quick. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to pause real quick. All right, so All right. You, we get you back to, to to the anxiety, and you said it just depends on the situation for you, right? So while you're there, absolutely. Have do you ever get a chance? And you don't, if you don't want to say, you don't have to. Do you ever see a person who's been a, a victim of a gunshot wound or a, 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 a blast explosion and you look at them and go, yo, you're not going to make it. And they looking at you waiting for you to say they like, does that ever happen? Yeah, I would never say that. Okay. But you know, I, you know, I would just look at the other medic and other people around and, you know, we kind of just, 
you would say it without saying it. Yeah, it's that look like, you yo, know this I mean? ain't this ain't good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you just shoot somebody that look and like, okay, let's do what we got to do, make them comfortable. But you know, this this may not end well. And um, and that goes right hand in hand with that part about getting comfortable with death, man. It, mm-hmm. it was it was weird, you know. And that's something I don't think humans should ever get used to. But I I don't think we're wired for that. I think we are used to it. Look at the TV. Yeah. Look at the TV. Look at the movies. And then look at the environment some of us grow up in. Like, that's everywhere every day. Yeah. Yeah. So there 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 are quite a few people who are desensitized to violence because they see it all the time. And even and God bless all the people who's lost their lives recently to to these mass shootings. But we go about our daily routine like it never happened. Go, oh man, that was sad. And then we go get right back to what we've been doing. That should yeah. that's it's normal for us. Like that should not be that's uncomfortable to me. Yeah, for real. Absolutely. Spot on. Yeah, it is uncomfortable on. when like that can happen. Nothing gets done about it. And we just go back to living life like like those those individuals' lives meant nothing. Like how do we stop yeah. that? Like where where do we get to a point where we can we can we can quell those type of situations where we can get those kids help where we can find out what are their parents thinking to allow their kid how do they, how do the parents mm. what is the impact of the parents to allow their ch- child to get that far what is happening in the home right you know what I mean so the the, right. the, the desensitizing is there I think it's, it's it's on all levels but for you you're you're live man this is no video game for you this yeah. is no call of duty this is yeah. real live action yeah. So, so and, you, you know, the, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> you know, and the, the funny thing about it, there, there was one point in time where, uh, going back to that, it, it's natural, where um, we would go through certain situations, and my partner, um, <laughs> he was a fueler, so he's basically driving around with, you know, those fuel tankers you see driving and you know, topping off the shell stations, or whatever. He's driving yeah. that in combat. And uh, if you hit an IED, you know, like, that's it. That, that's it. You're done. That's crazy. You know, because you walk around with a 50,000-pound bomb on your back, basically. And I remember um, he was telling me an uh, IED went off right before his truck hit it. And he just froze and did a, all right, all right I'm good. I'm good. Oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> Arms, legs, nuts. Okay, all right, we good. Let's go. <laughs> that's That's crazy. That's crazy. Yo, to know that you got to check yourself and patch yourself down like that, man. Was it? So let me ask you this. Was it an extreme hatred for you guys while you were there or where they were just letting you guys do your job? Uh, It it depended. There there were certain villages, you know, we were doing the best we could rebuilding schools and trying to do as much community outreach as possible. I mean, there were times when uh, there are Iraqi families because they're very hospitable people. They would see us on patrol and they would invite us in for like chai tea and sit and talk to us. And it was the most beautiful thing ever. Like, why is this CNN covering this? You, you know what I mean? You, you but know then why. you go through that same... Yeah, I, of course I do. But then, you know, you go through that same village a week or two later and, you know, they're playing IEDs in it. You know what I mean? Because somebody found out that they were talking to the Americans, so now they're pissed off at that family. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So the, the it was a very unique dichotomy, to say the least. You know what I mean? You, you think you're making a difference. You think you're earning trust. 
you think you're doing the right thing by building rapport. And then, you know, your people get attacked, you know what yeah. I mean? Or ambushed. Yeah. You know, then it's fuck these guys. You know what I mean? It goes right back to that. <laughs> yeah. It's just like some hood shit. All right. Now we got it. Now we got to go get them back. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Exactly. And I mean, and we created our own enemies in a lot of instances too, you know, by, by some of the harsh treatment that we, we gave them because it's, it's kind of hard to compartmentalize. That's a hard one. You know, some villains, you know, when you're out there doing your thing, if you just lost your buddy, a, a week or two ago and you're out there on patrol some people got their head clear and some people don't so they see the first Iraqi they see and they want to take they want to get revenge and that has a ripple effect you know what I mean because that person has a family he's going to tell his family members what the, what we did and we just created five new insurgents you, you know what I mean so it, it was you couldn't trust anybody you couldn't trust the, the army the Iraqi army you couldn't trust sometimes <laughs> You know, it was hard to trust some of the the, uh, the Iraqi police. Some of the most, you think Chicago PD is corrupt. Iraqi Ooh. police, boy, they got them beat, boy. <laughs> wow. 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 So you do your first tour, right? Did you, at the end of that, did you go, all right, hell no, I'm not doing this no more? Or, or, or did you know that, all right, I'm going back and I'm doing it again? I thought I was done after that. Okay. I thought I was done. I, uh, because I, I wasn't really okay, you know, because that, that was pretty traumatic and nobody want, well, I don't say nobody. I didn't want to be the guy that say, hey, I need to step outside and take a knee because that was too real because they gave us the opportunity to, to talk to therapists and talk to chaplains and talk about our experiences. But, you know, that machismo is real. You, you don't want to let people know that you, you're not okay up here. You know, I'm, I'm having nightmares. I'm, I'm not. I'm having a hard time adjusting to being back in the world again. Because if you come forward and say something like that, you get pulled out to fight. You know mm. what I mean? You're a broken toy now. You're defective. Okay. You know, and nobody wants to be labeled as defective. So you just suck that shit up and self-medicate, you know. And um, the uh, the year the year after a lot of us, we suffered. Alcohol came our best friend, you know, for a lot of us. And... Uh, because of that, I'm like, I don't know if I could ever go through that again. But around like, what, what around what year well, is this? I, around what year is this when you start self medicating? This two, about 2006. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we all we all drank, but drinking became different after that. It wasn't something I did going to the bar, hang with the boys. It's something I'm doing, you know. Uh, eight o'clock at night on a Tuesday by myself. You know what I mean. I, I'm not celebrating. I'm, I'm medicating. You know what I mean. And um, I realized that I hadn't prepared myself for civilian life, so I went ahead and gave it another go. And uh, that's right around the time when the surge happened. That's when we started doing instead of twelve month deployments, we're doing fifteen month deployments. Okay. And uh, that's when shit started getting real. Yeah, fifteen months of that. <laughs> nah, nah. Wow. Nah. Yeah. So, so the drinking was was a was the coping mechanism, and you did that like every day. Then, yeah, it started as a social thing, you know, just a weekend thing, mm -hmm. and it just went went from something that you know I like to do to something I need to do. Wow. And okay. uh, before I before I even 
recognize it. It, it. it controlled me. I didn't control it anymore. But at the time, that was the only thing I was. And a lot of us do that because we have to still put one foot in front of the other. You have to. Mm-hmm. So if you're not talking to nobody, you're numbing yourself. And that was a flavor of the day for, for a long time. You know, it, it wasn't until recently that that started to change. You know what I mean? Because it was promoted to a certain degree. You know what I mean? You work hard, you play hard. What was so wrong with going to see a a, a, a doctor shrink? Why, why, why be considered defective? You know, if you know that the, Hey, killing is wrong. Like wh- what are we doing here? <clears throat> Mainly because um, at the time when you were receiving certain treatments and if let's say you wanted to receive alcohol treatment, right. Uh, that precluded you from receiving certain assignments going forward, right? Okay. So if you want to be a drill sergeant, if you want to be a recruiter, uh, if you want to do something to help promote your progress your career, having something that you receive treatment for alcoholism, that's not going to reflect good on you. And a lot of people that are careers know that, so they hide it, you know, because on paper you need to look as complete as possible. You can't be seen as defective. Okay. You know what I mean? So even though looking at that now doing a, in the lens of 2022, that was backwards. But back then, that was how you played ball. You, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Gotcha. And and so it forced people to just hide that. And I, I found out the hard way. Um, I, uh, I tried to uh, become a recruiter. And um, they went through my, my personal records and found out that I received uh, treatment for, um, for, for alcoholism. And... I was removed from consideration and uh, just to recruit. Yes. And because it it raised a red flag, you know, because recruiting is a high pressure job. And so if I have a propensity to drink when things get stressful in the past, I may do it again. Right. That's how they're looking at it. So why even take a risk on it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, I didn't agree with that at all. But I'm like, going forward, I will never be honest about what I'm going through again. Yeah. Hide everything from this point going forward. And it made my life a living hell by doing that. <laughs> really? Really? Yep. But I'm not, I'm not the only one. You know, that, that, was, that was the modus operandi for a lot of us, you know? Hey, man, I first learned, learned the word modus operandi from you. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. When we were writing lyrics back in back in uh freshman or, or sophomore year, yeah, you were, you were the first person that introduced me to that word. I had to figure it out. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah. That's for, dope. For that those really who is. are listening, I was like, Carl, what does this word mean? He's like, nigga, get a dictionary and look it up. You know what I'm saying? Get on he said, <laughs> he said he's like, get on my level, man. Get on the level. Like if you're gonna be over here. <laughs> If we're going to be spitting lyrics and shit like that, you got to, you know, you need to level up. I was like, okay, all right, bet. Bet. Vo- oh my God. What, vo- that? what a dick. <laughs> vo- vocabulary. Oh, no, no, no. I was like, vocabulary extended. Got you. Got you. Got you. I'll fix you. I'll fix you. That's dope. That's beyond dope, man. It, it was. You remember that is awesome. It was because after that, my, my vocabulary, I was like, oh, no, this it's a wrap for this cat, man. 
it's a wrap. I started studying a lot more, you know, with, with everything, <laughs> adjectives and adverbs and and, uh, and and personifications and ways to put words together. I was like, oh, I'll fix this motherfucker, man. He don't know. <laughs> he don't know. Oh, man. That's so cool, man. God, I almost forgot about that stuff. You know what? How do you feel? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the, the topic on you. Let's do it. You know how we, how we embrace hip-hop? the way we did it, you know, it was like, it wasn't something that you got into because it was cool. Like you had to be legitimate. You had to have bars. You had to have lyrics. We had to believe you. Mm -hmm. That's how we looked at it. Do you think kids in this generation look at hip hop the same way? Nah, nah, nah. very few, <laughs> very few care about the legitimacy of a rapper. And you can tell by what they're listening to. Um, like you said, we cared about the legitimacy. Can you rap? But is what you're saying true? How real is it, right? Like, how real is yeah. it? And if we were to do the research on you, do you go that far back where people can say, I know him as this, not as yeah. that? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, how many people know you by your, your first name instead of your alias? How many people know mm. you by your rap name instead of your instead of your, uh, instead of of your your birth mm. name, right? So it, it, nowadays, when you look at them, everybody sounds the same. Everybody has a young, a little, or, or this, that, and the third. So the 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 ingenuity, the authenticity isn't really there anymore. Mm. And when you're listening, when you're listening to it, it's like out of all the guys that sound the same, you have to pick the ones that don't, and, yes. and their and their message. It's either authentic or it sounds authentic. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. it, it, it's too much to weed through because they all they all just seem to blend in it together. The whole thing about us when we wrote lyrics together or separately, it was always to be better than the next guy. Yes. But it was always to be yourself, not sound like I don't want to sound like Carl. I don't want to sound like Matt. I want to sound like myself, but I want to be just as dope as they are. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take another pause and we'll be right back. All right. All right. So, yeah, the authenticity is, is, is not necessarily there for us. We care more about the, the, the lyrics and, and how and, and how well put they were together and, and who you actually were. Now they just now it's all about let me get a record deal. How, how quick can I do this? And, and I think that some of these guys are not just doing it for the record deals. I think they're doing it because they, 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 they're having fun with it as well, because it's so easy nowadays. Like, yeah, we would have to go looking for a record label or be be rapping outside of uh, some place where we knew that they would notice us. Now they can just go to Fruity Loops, cook up some shit and throw it on SoundCloud or whatever app they want to throw it on and they can get out here. Yeah. So, so the intentions are different now. Yeah. And I think that because yeah. of that, also, I don't think that the love for the music is the same anymore. I don't think they I don't mm. think they care about the, 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 the hip hop. I don't think they care about hip hop the way that we do. I don't think they want to you know care. What? I don't I think, think they want I don't think they want to carry it the way that, that we care. For them, it's just like, look, I'm just here to dance. I'm here to vibe out and fuck bitches and get money. I don't care about uh, <laughs> I don't care about samples. I don't care about none of that shit. Like I'm just here to do what I want to do. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's, I believe, you know, with the, um, with the advent of the, um, like TikTok and all this other stuff, when all you need is a smartphone really. And you could be a, you know, you could be a rapper. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, I use a smartphone and a good Wi-Fi connection. You'd be good to go. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and for the for and, the for the. It go makes, ahead, I'm sorry, I to step on you. There's so many to choose from. It you know you you really have to stand out, you know, because there's so many little kikis and young NBA whatever. You know what I mean? There's so many out there. For you to catch my ear, you really got to stand out. You know what I mean? Like I heard that already. Next, you yeah. sound like the other dude. Next, you know what I mean? So I would think that it makes it harder for these guys to really stand out because the, the the, the field has been quadrupled because anybody and everybody can can rap nowadays. Yeah, there, there, there is no record label that, that you have to go to. It's all done on your phone. And because of that, since the record labels, exactly. since the record labels know that now, they're just watching YouTube. They're just watching Spotify. They're just watching these apps to figure out who's generating the most buzz. And that's the guy we're going to sign. That's how they're going off of it. Now. Yeah. And, and a lot of these guys aren't really getting pay they're getting popularity because they're really not that talented yes yes, yes. spot on spot on you know we, we, when you look yeah, at man. a lot of the yeah when you look at a lot of them now like you're like yo y'all gotta it's okay to be popular but capitalize off the popularity that you're gaining be able to do other things because these record deals ain't shit and you're not gonna get much out of it you know what i mean unless you figure yeah. out a way to to brand yourself outside of music because now everything what they say is it's 360 now and they're taking a piece of everything that you get now so it's 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 so watered down now like the record labels are trying to refigure out how to do this thing and when we grew when we grew up you know we were carrying we wanted to carry hip-hop and do hip-hop but we had a, a respect for hip-hop as well and right now i just think it's a big just a grab and i'm not not saying about all artists but you can just tell like it, it's just a yeah. grab right now like who who can be the hot, who can be the hottest dude today or tomorrow, and then after that, who cares? Yeah, and I, I, the, yeah, the, I don't think the I don't think the popularity level is there like it used to. Not not popularity, the uh, talent level. I shouldn't have said popularity. The talent level, like growing up, mm. me and you could one of us might make beats and rhyme, the other one might rhyme and sing. Like there was always something yeah. else that everybody else could do in a group. You know, now you don't. You don't necessarily see guys who have who are multifaceted like that. So that's my answer mm -hmm. to, to to that. You know, great answer. I love that because <laughs> I, I work with a bunch of youngins and I I hear um, their perspective and I hear what they think is hot. And I, I kind I find myself being the elder statesman. You know, kind of putting my head put my head down and shaking it. And like, what? That's not good. Like, no, you guys don't know what real hip hop is. Like I sound like the old dude in the barbershop. Yeah. But it's true. <laughs> yeah. But what I realized in order to carry hip hop forward, we can't do what everybody did to us. You can't say, oh, that ain't gonna be around that long. What you have to do is introduce them to music that got them where they are. So if they're listening yeah. to if they're listening to uh uh black youngster or they're listening to NBA young boy. You got to go and grab. You just say, yo, have you ever heard of T.I.? Yeah, I know who T.I. is. Do you know who MJG and 8-Ball is? Yeah, I know who that is. Oh, no, I never heard mm -hmm. that. Do you know who Scarface is? Do you know about Master P? You got to introduce them to music that was before that time and say, yo, this is how you got here now. Yeah. This is how you got to the place yeah. where you are now so they have a better understanding so they don't reject that music. And if they are rappers, 
and they as- aspire to be rappers, then they'll have something to draw. Then go, yo, that was dope. Well, that was different. I didn't, I didn't know music sounded like that because mm. we used to open up the CD and look at all that shit and figure out where the credits and and, and the all that shit yes. came from. They don't yep. have that now. They don't do that. Yep. They don't, they're not doing none of that. So we we researched yep. everything. They're not doing that. Mm-hmm. So so I think that's, that's I think that's something you that you that, definitely I, have to do when you're talking to these kids. You have to definitely like kind of like hey, not I don't want to say you don't know what hip hop is, but hey, do you did you know about this? Do you know about this type of music? You should check it out. Mm-hmm. And you know the the amount of things, uh, especially since the '90s, have been having a bit of a renaissance again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know it, it's funny how a lot of those um, a lot of things that were prevalent in the '90s are coming back along with the music. So a lot of these kids are researching who, who Nas, well, they still know who Nas is, but like, listen to Tribe, listen to De La Soul, you know, listening to to Cube, early Cube. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when he was still messing with the Nation of Islam, that, that Cube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it was you know real. What I mean? so yeah. to, yes. So they starting to understand where it came from. You, you know what I mean? Like, take the time to listen to a Public Enemy album. Like listen to Chuck D. Listen what he's listen to KRS One. Listen, listen to, to what that they're brother, saying. Man. Listen to what they're yes, saying. Listen to what he's saying. <laughs> and it, it feels good to be able to be a part of that. You know what I mean? It is almost like when when I when we were kids, you know, and asking the previous generation about the seventies and you know what I mean and the sixties and whatnot, and understanding what that music was like, and like damn, like that. I wish we had music like that. that we don't have anything like that. They're saying the same thing about our shit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's why, and that's why I trying to tell, I keep trying to tell people like the way that we looked at pe- music is the same way that people that looked at music before us and before them and before them. And you got to think about it, man. Hip hop changes every seven to ten years. Like just think yeah. about it. Just think yeah. about it. Hip hop has changed every seven to ten years. So we don't know what the next stage of this shit gonna look like. But I hope it, I hope there is more creativity. And it, you know, and it flourishes and uh, has better ownership involved in it in the next phase of it. Absolutely. I'm at the start just listening to doggone lo-fi music, man. <laughs> hey, but hey, we used to call those instrumentals. Right? <laughs> Spot on. Spot on. Yes, sir. So, you know, don't. That's why I just keep telling them, like, look, the game don't change. It's the players do, man. Like, that's yeah. all it is. Just new players in the game. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I was, it, it's funny you said that too, man, because I was listening to this, uh, this track the other day, and um, they're like, man, this is a good lo-fi song. I'm listening. I'm like, man, that's P-Rock, dude. They ain't no damn lo-fi. <laughs> they have, and that's what I'm saying. They have no idea. Like, it, those are called instrumentals, bro. That's all. <laughs> Straight up. Now, now it's lo-fi. And, and exactly. DJ, DJ Jazzy Jeff, he got some dope, he got some dope instrumentals, man. I love listening to his instruments. Oh, oh yeah, he got some new stuff? No, not not lately. I just go, I just like go back and listen oh. to his rotation, but got you. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. What what, what else you got for me, brother? Uh, no, I gotta go because we gotta go back. So you do the second tour. In Iraq, what makes you go back for the third time? Um, I went from being 
this is something I'm going to do just to get my, my bennies and get out. So I'm a careerist, you know, so, um, you know, I'm in a leadership role now and it's part, it's part, part for the course, you know, I'm one of the senior, you know what I mean, because I got some kids that's under me at the time. They hadn't deployed at all. So I'm one of the old heads. So my position changed, you know what I mean? And granted, the, the third time I was in Iraq was nothing like the first time. Nothing like. <laughs> okay. So explain that. Explain that. Explain what you mean. Absolutely. So we had been there for so long. We, as you know, as America and just coalition forces, we had been there for so long. We had wiped out so many people that it was almost unrecognizable from what it was like the Wild West days I was telling you when we first went there. And like, I remember thinking like when I went back in 2009, it was going to be like it was in 2004. It was not. It was not at all. You can actually sit and like take a nap in a vehicle, you know what I mean? Versus something like that the whole time. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this really changed. I mean, granted the threat of danger was there, but like night and day. Mm-hmm. night and day so i'm like we whatever we were doing it was working because i i never thought i'd be able to ride on the convoy and take a nap <laughs> wow. wow that's that says a lot man that says a lot there, there were certain parts that there were certain parts where uh justification was even taking place in the the northern part of iraq dude when i say when i saw a kfc in Iraq, I'm like, ain't this a bitch? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a rap. When you see that, it's oh a rap. You oh know, you God, know who there. <laughs> yeah, you know who's there now. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was probably an offshoot, like um the Colonel's Chicken. They, they they couldn't license the the KFC, but it was something similar to it. Like the the Western influence was there. I'm like, what? Do you see this? Like, oh my God. Like there was actual a um a shopping mall I went to in Iraq. Mm-hmm. A shopping mall. Granted, they had um metal detectors before you went, went through there and you had to get patted down. <laughs> that's that's man, that's different. I mean this I mean talking about the they going from one extreme to the next. But um I to go back to what you said, um I, I noticed that my role was different, you know what I mean? So I, I found myself more in a leadership mentor role. So I was still impart the wisdom from all the experiences I had previous, but the game has changed. You know, mm-hmm. we were in a process of getting everything out of Iraq at first just trying to liberate them and everything else. This is Obama period now. And we're trying to get everything out of there. So it was completely different. And, um, <laughs> to go from that experience to what Afghanistan was like, I was like, okay, because that last experience in Iraq kind of, kind of placated me a little bit. I'm like, okay, this is, we're done. We're, we're done fighting. You know, the worst is over. And then you go to another country like, oh no, we, we're still off and popping over here. <laughs> wow. Wow. So yeah, that was a very unique experience to say the least as well. So th- when but, you uh, did your when you did your last tour in Afghanistan, did you know like all right, this is it? I I, I had enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I knew it was time then. But uh, do I regret it? I I, I don't regret it. 
Did you ever at I, any I, I point don't. think that you would come back to Chicago? Because I know most people, when they leave, they go, nah, I'm good. No. Mainly because I had I had outgrown it for so long. You know what I mean? I, I spent I spent the bulk of my time in um I spent the bulk of my time in, in Germany. And um they, they, people talk about my car outside. Sorry about this, distracts me. <laughs> I'll say this. Uh, let me inter- let me interject real quick. From what I heard, you love Germany. Oh yes, I do. Deutschland über alles. You know. There you go. I'll be over there right now wearing Lederhosen, killing it. <laughs> so so what happened? The, the, the what what happened? What brought you back? Uh, Uncle Sam was like, "Dude, you've been over there too long. Time to go." All right. <laughs> That's basically it. Um, my uh, my ex wife is is German. Um, my my kids all have German. Um, I I just I really identify with it, man. To go from that the way we were living, in in Chicago, to going to Europe and Germany, especially, and, and experience that level of freedom. You know what I mean? Like like people will go to sleep without locking their doors at night. I'm like, oh my god, what are you guys doing? Yeah, like it, it blew my mind. It really blew my mind because there like, was a term for us growing up that said it ain't safe no more. You know? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it was almost like this utopia that I didn't even think existed. You, you know what I mean? It, it really fucked me up. And when I went back to America, I'm like, oh no, I'm good. Send me back. Send me back. <laughs> and there's so many other things. The culture. Um, just. The travel, being able to go to go, get on a train and go to Paris. I'm like, who, who gets to do that? Yes. Who, who gets yes. to do that? <laughs> you can get to London, Paris, all that. Yeah, man. yeah that's awesome. I'm, I'm like, why would I go back? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the women, oh my God, they love black men over there, brother. Yes. Yeah. I will I say that. It. I will just say this. I agree. I would just say this. <laughs> I agree. You can go over there at the at the time. You can go over there and have a good. You can go there and have a good time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they would take you care of you. A, yeah, exactly. You could be an ugly, busted ass dude with buck teeth and you know fucked up hairline. They go ahead and treat you like a king, boy. <laughs> yeah, they treat they treat you well. And I'm for those who are listening. I'm not talking about no raggedy women either. I'm not talking about no, no raggedy women. I'm talking about some. Good quality women that will treat you yes. well. Yes. Make you, I, I'll get you a green card tomorrow, baby. You come home yep. with me. Yeah. You mean Big Mama? <laughs> yep. Yeah, there, there were some really dope people there. Uh, the hip hop scene was pretty cool. I, I got the chance to see the, 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 the B boy scene, which was, I, I, I was unaware of it. And when yes. I got, when Where I got to <clears throat> Stuttgart to visit a homie, and then from Stuttgart, um shoot where do we go i don't because i don't want to say what someone told me to say but it's the last thing i remember he said yo it's very racist over where i'm about to take you and that's where we went but i can't remember where it is um got you shoot what is it but anyway i I went to like three states i think or three cities in, in 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 germany yeah it's like three nice cities stuttgart is it something with a B? 
or a D or something. I can't bomb remember. holder? No. Nah. No. I can't we'll remember. We'll be here all day. <laughs> yes, yes, we will because I can't I can't remember, but I did I did have a good time. I will say that. That's good, man. I, I'm I glad did. you got the experience there, yeah. bro. Yes, and I, I got I went to a gym and I had a chance to spar and they had like the Lonsdale gloves and shit like that. So yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you can vouch for it. I'm yeah. about to talking on my backside, ladies and gentlemen. No. You can vouch. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Good people. Good people. No matter no matter what you think or they tell you on the news or what um, the, the portrayal is in America. If you ever get a chance to travel for yourself, if you go see it for yourself, when you actually get around people, they actually treat you better than what you think they do. Like here in America, they, yes. they treat us like that because they still want to be us. But when you go into other countries, like these people, in certain parts, they may treat you like shit, but there are other places where you can go to Belgium, France, or Germany, and they, and they love you. They love you for, exactly. for being there. You go to Thailand, they will just, they love you. They love you regardless. You know what I mean? So- yeah. Um, it's, it just depends on it just depends on what you believe versus what you actually find out for yourself. You know what I mean? So uh, Absolutely. It's, it's a great experience. And once you go in and check it out for yourself, I'll say that I'll say that. Uh, another and what, going back to the military aspect, one thing I, I will say. The military opened doors for me to see places I would probably have never had the opportunity to see otherwise. One of the uh, the last um, missions I got to do before I hung it up, I got to uh, hang out in South Korea for uh, about two weeks. And uh, that was my first time over there. And, brother, I had an absolute blast. And um, I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be my swan song. This is how I'm going to go out. I'm glad I'm going out like this. They're like, this is a good one. And it goes back to that same thing, you know, like, you know, like to seeing the Korean hip-hop scene Fuck me up a little bit. <laughs> like, so how was that? Uh, how was that? How was that? It was amazing because I was in South Korea and um, the areas where I were, there's still a lot of bases over there. So there's still American influence all over there. Like they got some of the best fried chicken spots I've ever been to in South Korea. Hands okay. down. Hands down. I think it's a place called uh, Crack Chicken. And my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Crack chicken, yeah. Yeah. Some if some uh listener viewers that been in Station of Korea, they know exactly what the hell I'm talking about. I said, like, yep, been there. Yep. <laughs> wow. Crack but, chicken. Uh, Crack chicken, yes, sir. Nice, yeah, nice spicy. I, Harold's ain't got nothing on uh, crack chicken. <laughs> wow. Damn, I hope that's not blasphemy, I, brother. I hope that's not blasphemy. I, I know, right? I probably just lost my Chicago car, saying that. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a no-fly zone for you, man. <laughs> so then you finally but, get to the States, right? Yeah. What Do you move around, or do you automatically know where you want to settle down at? I had one of the peculiar careers. I've only been stationed two places in, in the States. Okay. Uh, once I, I'm in Washington state now. And, um, once I, uh, once I got stationed here back in, um, I think back late 08, 2009, I've been here ever since. And that is rare. You know, I've, uh, I've come down on the times to go elsewhere, but for the most part I've been here. And, um, that is not typical. 
of a uh, of an army career. You know, normally every three to four years you go on somewhere, and um, I've had the fortune once I go to a couple of places, I, I I can homestead. Granted, I still deployed. I, mean, I told you I deployed four times, but I I still had the opportunity to go somewhere and establish myself in that community. You know what I mean? Okay. So it wasn't like I. I get get to make friends, and after three years, you know, nice knowing you, peace. Like I, I saw him come, and I saw him go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you are you are you are you cool right now with where you are and how things are going? I, I am. I I want to come back to Chicago because it's been so long. Um, Somebody told me I'm he kinda, was never coming back to Chicago. Yeah, you know what? I for a while I kind of adopted that too. You know, I was kind of looking at the landscape. And I'm like, no, I'm, Chicago's dead to me. I've, I've moved on from that. But I have kids, and they hear Daddy talk about his hometown all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I need to allow them to at least experience what it's like to live here. You, you know what I mean? Or at least to, to visit. And I saw them not. They don't need to see old block. They don't need to go. None. They don't need to see all that. <laughs> no, they don't need to see that. No. But I will say this: it looks different. That's why I keep hearing. It looks different. Mm-hmm. That's what I keep hearing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. In a good, in a good way or bad way. A lot of gentrification. It looks different. Yeah. Yeah, it looks different. Damn. It looks different. Um, all those project buildings gone. Mm. All those project buildings are mostly gone, and and the ones that are still standing, they turned them into condos. Wow. And it's not a, and it's not a lot of them that I'm talking about, you know. So yeah. Um, I think I believe when you go when you come here. Uh, I think you will enjoy yourself depending on where it is that you plan on going and who you plan on hanging out with. I think you will enjoy yourself, but it looks different. It does mm. look different. Right on. It's worth it. It's worth it. This is something I've actually been kicking around in my head for the past two years. Um, you know, COVID kind of put a uh, kind of a damper on my plans when that happened. But um, now that life's starting to normalize a little bit again, um, I think you'll be seeing me sooner than later, man. Okay. Okay. Back in the shot. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing my own stomping grounds. Even see if I can uh, visit CVS and all that, that stuff. Is that, is, is that still a school that they, they turn that down to? No, it's still there, but they've, uh, I think they're chopping the school up and, and turn it into a 1200 school, a school or something like that. I don't even know what's going on anymore. It's not, wow. it's, it's not what we consider it to be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they 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 they've gone through a lot of reno, not a lot, but they've been trying to do renovations and and change the way they 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 use the school and everything. There's no more aviation or uh, school of communication. I don't think I don't think there's no more radio or uh, commercial art or anything like that. So they've done a lot to to well, not a lot. They've done some things to change up the way the school uh, is run and the way they do things there. So. Mm. It's not what you remember. I'll put you like that. I, I, I believe it. I mean, change is, is inevitable. So growth is optional. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that. <laughs> hey, I was told that saying years ago, and it stuck with me to this day. Change is inevitable. Right. Growth is optional. You know. So that stuck. With I like me. that. Yeah, definitely. So, so what? Say that again. I didn't hear you. I said, what have you been up to? Uh, man, so the podcast, I still do my music when I have a chance. 
uh, I work in, in finance and uh, every now and then I'm still a part of uh, mentorships uh, in Chicago. All right. All good for you, brother. Yeah. Let's put on a quick pause. I have to talk to this gentleman outside real quick. Yeah, so I've been participating in those. The mentor work, I haven't done it as uh, as consistently as I, I would normally do, but that's mainly because of so much that we have going on uh, with the family and my nephew, my mom, like all these different things that have come up over the past couple of years. So I haven't been as participatory as I would like to be, but um, the guys, the young men that I do mentor now, they've already had that close bond with me over the years. So it's just me going out to meet up with them and, and give them reassurance and affirmation and, and work on getting them and getting them to the places that they need to be. So um, I do take part in that uh, aspect, but not as well as I use, not as big as I used to. So um, right now I'm just mostly fo focusing mm. on, on mostly focusing on podcasts and um, music and, and just working, just keep, you know, just keep myself Productive. We can say that. I'll keep myself productive. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of that, brother. Uh, yeah, I really I'm, am. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, man. I, I need to find a... I'm about to say, I need to find a link to some of your music, man, so I can uh, so follow you. I got you. I got you. We can do that. We can do that. That's easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm always going to show love. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I actually, um, I released a, a book of uh, poetry. Okay. Okay. Say again? I say, I say, okay, okay, you released a book yeah, of poetry. I, uh, How long ago was that? That, that first appointment. How long ago um, was that? 2017, actually. The name of it is uh, Drink. Uh, 2017. And I have a, uh, it's called Dreamweaver, uh, available on Amazon and other online retailers. Find it where you can. That's Dreamweaver by Carl D. Foggy. <laughs> <laughs> let him know, let him know. <laughs> and uh, I have my second uh, iteration that I have, uh, it's all ready to go. I just need to, um, I'm probably going to go to self-publishing route, just go ahead and get it out there and okay. uh, just secure the funds and go ahead and do it. Okay. You know, and that, that has been one of my passion projects since I've been retired now. And uh, I want to go back to school. I've been trying to figure out what exactly I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about that whole learning how to be an adult now, you know, at the age of 40. And um, I, I want to possibly give back, you know, so in uh, social work, okay. um, something where it's involved in like community outreach. That's actually why I'm volunteering at right now is, um, it's an organization where they, they feed the homeless and some of the, um, the destitute people in the area. And um, I actually feel good about that. I, I really do. I, I think that's where my heart belongs. So okay. I want to get more into like philanthropic, uh, philanthropic uh, ventures and also trying to get my art out there, you know, really, really. Yeah, for real. Absolutely. You, you draw? And uh, just really, um, me and uh, uh, me and my army buddies, we uh, we started working on a podcast as well. His name is David, and uh, I go by my middle name, Devon. So I do not. 
And no, I, I'm thinking more um, along the lines of um, like performance art, like okay. uh, acting oh. and things like that. That is that's the next level for me. Okay. Okay. Because I remember you loving to do poetry back in, back in the day, and then you said that I was like, okay, cool. He still he still does. I think it. I lost you. You still there, brother? Yeah, I'm still here. Hold on. All right, so I was asking you about performing arts and you were saying that, uh, I was asking you about do you draw and you said you would be more into doing performing arts. I remember growing up with you, uh, you were doing poetry. So the performing arts, where does that come into play for you? Is that is that live performance, a band, what is it? Yes, uh, it, it started with spoken word, mm-hmm. but I, I want to do something that's more artistic. So something with the music accompanying it, something with, um, a vocalist possibly down the road that that's something I have all up here, but actually putting the pieces in place is something I'm working on. I'm working with one of my f- former coworkers right now. He's uh, he's a musician. So we're working on doing a um, actual um, an album of me um, just doing my spoken word and him dropping the beats for it. And uh, it's, it's a nice little passion project. I don't have a title in place. It just, we were talking at work one day. Hey, you do this, I do this. Let's get together. And <laughs> that's how it usually happens. That's how, they, yeah, how it usually yeah. goes. And, and it's been a blessing, dude. And um, kind of like you, you know, life has been getting in the way. I've been um, offering a lot of assistance to uh, family members, trying to get them back on their feet, you know. And, you know, I got my own stuff going on. <laughs> we all but, do, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I don't want that to be a uh, reason to stay stagnant. Yeah. You know, because um, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of um, projects I started and stopped. But I um, I, I wanted to kind of get that stuff out there, you know, because it's not doing anybody any good sitting on my uh, my computer in, in a files folder. You know what I mean? I need to get it out there. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, and when you feel inspired to do something, you should. And when your brain is telling you that you can do this, that's something that you may want to actually uh pursue and, and get the idea out and make it make it come into fruition you know absolutely i think they say that the uh the brain is a theater of the mind and it's giving you a a preview of things that you can actually do so it's all on you to see the visualization of it but then put the works into process the action yes. into process to it so yes you on the right road you you will get there hell get yeah there. brother I can't wait to I can't see I can't wait to see what this stuff turns out to be, man. I, I appreciate the encouragement, man. Absolutely. Almost everyone I've talked to have been nothing but like nothing but super supportive in the process of it, man. Which says a lot. You know? Yeah. So uh, you know how we can be all our biggest critics and talk ourselves of our, our some of my greatest achievements. You, you know what I mean? And I'm tired of doing that personally. I'm I'm really tired. I'm, I'm good at that shit. You know. Yeah, nah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, never let excuses hinder you from uh, achieving a goal. You know, excuses are the things that what they say. Excuses are the tools used by the was it the incompetent or the lazy mm-hmm. or something like that. Excuses are yeah. tools used by the lazy or something like that. But it, it when you're using excuses, you're basically saying I don't want to put myself in position to do it. I don't want to take the time it takes to do it because I'm scared. I yes. have a fear of it. I nerves or anxiety or whatever it is, but. You just got to push on and do it, man. It, you shouldn't care about what someone says that you're doing. 
it's you doing it. What are they doing? Let them work on whatever they're working on. Exactly. Like you, you do what you're going to do. And we'll worry about what it what it is or what it isn't later on, you know. So exactly just give just get past that part. It's it's all about doing the work, my God. Yes, yes. And yeah, do thank you for that, brother. That's the fire I need under my ass right now. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's all love. It's all love. Yeah. Yeah, but uh shortly I back, I got the kiddos waiting for me, man. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this has been my guest, a man who did four tours of duty for his country a military man a serviceman a combat medic my man's my friend former lyricist carl fogey i appreciate you my guy brother this has been an honor and a blessing man i'm definitely gonna it. be a fan of this i, I appreciate it. your honesty and candor on this man. yes sir this is dope. and as always remember the mission statement when you're striving for greatness God never puts you in a driver's seat if it's taken. We out. Love that. Be good. Yes, sir. <laughs>